This is Mormon Awakenings. Please email me at mormonawakenings at gmail.com. First of all, I want to apologize for failing to produce any episodes, any new episodes of Mormon Awakenings during the past five weeks. Unlike many of the things that I fail to do in life, in this case, I actually have a good excuse. And the good excuse is that I sold my house here in New England, a place where I've lived for more than 25 years, and I bought a house in Salt Lake City. This was a very sudden, almost Lehigh-esque impulse and decision made by us. We hadn't even considered moving even six weeks ago. But five and a half weeks ago, things began to happen for us. And one thing led to another. And before we knew it, our house was on the market here in New England, which was strange. And then 48 hours after it went on the market, it was under contract, which was stranger still. And then I flew to Salt Lake City. And what's interesting about my trip to Salt Lake City is that I had planned it way before we even started to think about moving. I have two daughters who live in Salt Lake City. One's married. One goes to the University of Utah, and I visit them from time to time and have for several years since they've left home. And I had planned a trip to visit them a couple months ago, a couple months before we'd even started thinking about moving. Well, right after our house went on the market, I had a ticket to go to Salt Lake City for 10 days. And then I spent my entire trip while in Utah. I visited my daughters, of course, but then I spent my entire trip looking for houses. How interesting that it happened that way. I felt guided, as I mentioned, in a Lehigh-esque fashion to put our house on the market somewhat impulsively. And right after it went on the market, I had a ticket to Salt Lake City that I had purchased two months before. How very interesting. Of course, it's just interesting to me. I'm the one experiencing the inspiration in this case, if it is inspiration, but it feels like inspiration. It feels like Lehigh-esque inspiration. You remember Lehigh, I presume? Lehigh, the great prophet from the Book of Mormon who receives guidance to leave Jerusalem and go to a new promised land. Now, I'm no Lehigh, you know, and moving from New England to Salt Lake City is hardly epic, But I think that's what's so neat about inspiration is, even though it's very pedestrian for me to move from one part of the country to another part in this modern age, the guidance feels just the same. And the subsequent coincidences and synchronicities that I experienced once I began down this path, well, they seem just as meaningful and profound to me, even though on one level they're they're quite pedestrian. And again, they're going to be mundane to anyone else except for me. But once I got out there, I was put in touch with one of the better brokers, and he had just day after day after day filled with potential houses. And I looked and looked and looked. You know, there's a lot of metrics one has to consider when you go to buy a house. First of all, you got to learn what the market's like, and then you got to budget, and then there's people you want to be near. I, of course, want to be near my daughters, but I have a brother and two sisters out there. I want to be near them. I have nieces and nephews. And this broker just had endless patience. And we looked and he was completely unfazed and never doubted for a second that we would find the right house. And eventually we did. We looked for a long while. But even that process was enjoyable and peaceful and felt guided. And eventually we found a house. And then the the, the seller of the house was amenable to my offer, which was not the greatest offer on earth. 
And it turned out to be in a location that we like. And anyways, from our vantage point, my wife and my vantage point, it just, everything fell into place. And I was reminded during this entire process, during this entire five-week period of something that I've learned before, but I learned yet again, and that is God does not inspire us to do things so that we can fail. That sounds so silly, doesn't it? But you know, there is the theoretical possibility that God is the type of God who would inspire us to do things only to watch us fail. That God is the type of person who will inspire you down some path, give you these great hopes, and then in the end will dash your hopes and have a big laugh like he's the great cosmic practical joker. People believe this, by the way. And if they don't believe it consciously, many of us believe this subconsciously. And these type of beliefs, these negative, pessimistic type of beliefs actually stand in our way. They don't block God, of course, but they block us. There are other people who believe there is no such thing as inspiration. And anything that we think of as inspiration, well, it's just chemicals. Like, you know, like as if you'd had one too many Diet Mountain Dews. You know, you're, you're too hopped up on caffeine. That's why you felt this impulse to move to Utah. And all of us, at one point in our lives or another, are going to have to decide for ourselves, is there inspiration? Does inspiration matter? Are we guided? And if we are guided, if we are inspired by a God, will that God help us see it through? Or is God just some great big practical joker? Or are we all just, you know, buzzing on caffeine? We all are going to have a choice at some point in life. Something's going to happen, something that's profound or pedestrian or meaningful or common in the eyes of others, but something that to us is important. And we're going to have to decide if what we think is inspiration is inspiration, if what we think is guidance is guidance. And where we come out on that question and how inspiration and guidance really works, well, these things will be will be critically important to real outcomes in our lives, things that we experience. And so they're important to us, the answer to these questions. Even if these questions are raised in contexts that seem pedestrian, like selling one's house in New England and moving to Salt Lake City, then what we learn during any of these types of events in our lives is that the inspiration is just the very beginning. There's a long road and a lot of steps And a lot of coincidences and synchronicities and little inspirations and little divine interventions along the way to get us ultimately to the destinations we feel so inspired to head towards. And as you have experience with inspiration, you notice a pattern. Then there is a pattern. And the reason I mentioned Lehi at the very beginning of this podcast is because the journey of Lehi and his family from Jerusalem to the promised land, that story, that parable illustrates this pattern. That story contains secret wisdom regarding inspiration itself and the subsequent steps that we go through. And so let's review that story. Lehi, if you'll remember, is where it all begins because it's Lehi who receives the inspiration at the very beginning of the story. And I know I've spoken about this story before. You might think I'm a little obsessed with this story of Lehi and Nephi and Laman and Lemuel, because I've been talking about it all the time, particularly with this, what I like to think of as the third iteration of Mormon Awakening. So I'm sort of obsessed with this journey. But the reason I'm obsessed with Lehi's journey is because it's so interesting. And, and, he, and it all begins with his inspiration. And Lehi's inspiration, unlike my own, was epic. 
he was instructed, inspired, to leave Jerusalem and head not just across the country, but to somewhere unknown, a promised land, a journey with no distinct parameters. He didn't know how long it was going to take. He didn't know how far. He didn't know how difficult. None of that. He was just told, leave Jerusalem and you'll be given a promised land. And the inspiration that we receive in our lives is often like that. Head in some direction. Take a step that way or this way or some direction. The destination of which is a bit amorphous. The number of steps you're going to have to take cannot be quantified. The difficulties or the ease, all the, you're just going to have to take it on faith, but just start heading somewhere. That's how the inspiration often begins for us in that sort of amorphous form. And when we feel that inspiration at that juncture, we have the very first decision to make and all the things that we believe about inspiration, what inspiration is whether or not God's behind this sort of inspiration, what we really think of God, or whether we think inspiration is just, you know, a lot of caffeine. At that juncture, we have the first choice that expresses all of our beliefs about inspiration. Because at that juncture, we decide ourselves through our agency to take the very first step or not. And that very first step says everything about what we believe, in fact, about inspiration, about God, about divine guidance. We decide whether or not to take the first step. Now, we're not taking the whole journey. We don't even know where the journey's ultimately taking us in many cases. All we're deciding is the very first step. Nonetheless, that first step is huge. In the story of Lehi and Nephi and Laman and Lemuel and Sam, they did take the first step. Lehi got the vision, saw the pillar of fire, was told to leave Jerusalem. They all packed up, took the first step, and they left. They went three days' journey into the wilderness. Then they're confronted, as we all are after we take the first step, with the second step. We get another chance to review all of our thoughts, all of our beliefs, all of our worries, all of our fears. Except we also have new data. We have the results of having taken the first step. And we have our judgments about the results of the first step. In the case of Lehi, Nephi, Laman, and Lemuel, Nephi thought it was great. He thought this whole three-day journey into the wilderness, that was awesome. Laman and Lemuel thought it was absurd. They thought it was ridiculous. And then they were confronted with the second step. Lehi got more inspiration. Go back to Jerusalem. Get the plates from Laban. And everyone had a chance to reevaluate, again, their thoughts about God, their thoughts about inspiration, their thoughts about whether this was just some big chemical imbalance, their thoughts about whether God was playing some great big practical joke on them or not. So they revisited all of those views, but then they also had data or judgments or reactions from having taken the first step. And so in many ways, the second step is harder than the first step because you've got a result. Nonetheless, they all took the second step, some more eagerly than others. And in this case, Nephi and Sam were eager, at least Nephi was, and Laman and Lemuel were not so eager to take the second step. 
The second step being going back to Jerusalem to get the plates from Laban. And with each progressive step, we see how attitude and faith and the ability to let go and to let God really begins to color their experiences. And of all their attitudes and of all their predilections and of all their judgments, it seems that the most important of all is whether or not you think God is inspiring you to succeed or whether or not you think God is inspiring you to fail. I know that's almost a ridiculous question, but Nephi could think of nothing but success. And Laman and Lemuel, it seems, could think of nothing but failure. Well, what does that tell you about their views about God and the journey? And how do those views color their own experiences and what they were learning? And this is where it gets a little quantum in my mind, because the views and the beliefs, the observations, if you will, of Nephi versus the observations and views and beliefs of Laman and Lemuel seem to dictate different outcomes. So God inspired them to take certain steps, but then their views and their opinions and their beliefs had an effect on the outcome. And I don't think that's coincidental at all, because I think through this whole process of step-by-step inspiration, God is teaching us something. He's teaching that, yes, he'll in fact do all the work. Yes, you can rely on him, but what's going on inside your head and your heart, that's relevant too. The reason I call this sort of quantum is Because one of the principles of quantum physics is that the observer affects the outcome. The act of observing, the act of measuring affects the results. So the observer is part of the experiment. Well, I think God's trying to teach us that our lives are sort of quantum as well. Even when we're inspired at each particular step, what's going on inside our heads, we the observer or we the experiencer, we have an effect on the outcome. Not that we're particularly doing anything to bring about the outcome, just the fact that we're there and whatever energy, whatever vibration we're bringing, that has an effect. How very interesting. We see this observer effect, if you will, in each subsequent step that God inspires Lehi's party to take. And Nephi's faith is efficacious. And Laman and Lemuel's fear is efficacious. And at each step, everybody gets a redo. And at each step, everybody gets a chance to judge the results from the last step. And on and on and on it goes. God inspiring us, not just for the sake of inspiring us, but to teach a higher lesson. Lessons about what's going on inside our head. Lessons about our beliefs and how those beliefs affect the outcomes, even when inspiration is involved. These are not lessons, I might add, that you learn in school. These are not lessons that you learn at home. These are not lessons that you learn in church. Inspiration and then taking a step and then reevaluating and then being inspired and taking a step and being the observer and being the experiencer and affecting all those things and playing a role, that's all kind of tied up together. And it's best learned by doing, which is why I think God inspired Lehi to leave Jerusalem, or inspired me to leave New England, or inspired you to do anything that you feel inspired to do. I know what some of you are thinking. You're all thinking, well, this is all well and good. This sounds theoretically very interesting, but does this have any practical application? And let me just share one more mundane pedestrian story from my trip to Salt Lake City. I'd looked for a house for a couple weeks, 
many hours per day. I bet I looked at 60 or 70 houses. My wife had come out and joined me. She was distraught about the two remaining children in our house and what sort of schooling they needed. She was worried about budget, about location, the ward. Nothing seemed to feel right to us. We were running out of time. We started to feel that perhaps we weren't going to successfully find a house during this trip. We had already sold our house in New England. And when you sell a house, well, you can't weasel out of it. You know, the buyers are going to take your house on a certain day. And if you don't have a house, when that day comes, a new house, then, you know, it's trouble. We were feeling a lot of anxiety, a lot of doubt, feeling like maybe this whole thing was just a chemical imbalance, too many Diet Mountain Dews, and maybe this was crazy. And I remember distinctly thinking, in fact, I articulated it verbally. I said, you know, God doesn't inspire us to make this move only so that we can fail and not find a good house. That, that's not the way it works. That declaration changed my vibration. It changed the way I felt. I felt confident. Within minutes of that declaration, we got two telephone calls. One told us that a bid that we had made for a house, a bad bid, a lowball bid, a bid that I didn't think was going to be accepted, was in fact accepted. Two minutes later, we got a call from a bishop from a local ward there. This guy was kind, sweet. He described a ward that was going to match our family perfectly seemed to meet all of our needs. The wise, the educated, the rational will call this mere coincidence. But for me, as ordinary as it sounds to the hearer, for me, the experiencer, it was profound indeed because it seemed to wrap all these principles up. Inspiration, taking a step, playing a quantum role in God's plans for you, all of it pointing to a higher lesson, a lesson about life, about God, about love, about his abilities, about our role, all of which is far beyond a simple move across the country. God speaks and teaches and guides us through these ordinary, simple things. And often while we're looking for miracles, we miss all the miracles because they're disguised. But I don't believe in coincidences anymore. Or rather, I don't believe in mere coincidence. I'm starting to think that everything has meaning. God's inspiring constantly. And with each step, we learn more and more and more how much he's guiding, how much he loves, how much he wants us to succeed, as well as what our role is. And our role is both simpler and more difficult than we think. It's simpler because our role is actually way less taxing, requires way less effort than what we're taught it should be. It's harder because, well, we are quantum players. Our vibration, our energy, our faith, however you want to think about it, plays a role in the outcome. There is an observer effect, an experiencer effect. And what's going on inside your head and your heart matter, not just because, but, but because these things produce results, affect things. For those of you partial to the new age, there's an expression that says, you don't get what you want, you get what you believe. Well, I think it's pointing to this type of lesson. We don't get what we want in life. We get what we believe, and we play a part in attracting God's blessings to us. And it's a lesson God is constantly teaching. 
And so if you want to change your life, you have to change yourself. It's so easy to point to others, to blame others, to play victim. It's so easy to be skeptical or cynical or doubtful. That's what the world teaches us to do. That's what the world teaches us to be. But that's not what God is trying to teach us when he inspires us to take the first step, when he inspires us to take the second step and the third step after step after step. He teaches us that he's there guiding us, but he's also teaching us that we have a role to play in accepting his blessings. You have to be willing to receive. And believe it or not, it takes far more humility to receive than it does to be cynical. But God is interested in your success. God is not the great cosmic practical joker. God wants you to succeed and does not inspire you to failure. And you don't need to know the whole plan from the beginning. You just have to take the next step as best you can. Well, I've gone on far too long. I hope you found something interesting here today. Please do email me at mormonawakenings at gmail.com. Until next time.